Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com, Douglas Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko, diving in on the Pittsburgh Steelers in this episode. Last week we did the Baltimore Ravens, their offseason, and what it meant for the Browns versus the Ravens on both sides of the ball. We're going to continue that in the AFC North this week, and we have Scott Patsko breaking down Browns defense versus the Steelers offense. So it's like what happened with the Steelers offense in the offseason. Scott, I think it's possible. Will you perhaps get into if Ben Roethlisberger added any more robot parts? Does he have a robot knee? Does he have a laser eye? Right. That's part of the offseason moves for the offense. Can we get a laser eye for an NFL quarterback? That would be awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like. He's mostly robot now anyways, right? So, I mean, if you add some more, it's I don't think it's really uh, against the rules at this point. Yeah, so that's in the second half of the pod, but we're going to start off in the first half of the pod with what happened to this Pittsburgh defense because they did lose some dudes, and that matters for the Browns. So, again, we are looking at a Browns opponent that you're going to see twice a year through a Browns lens, and we're going to dive in on the Pittsburgh Steelers defense with Ellis Williams. Ellis, dive in. i got to watch the tape. Scott, we'll see when you go and see if you agree with me. But on this one, I just had a lot more fun researching this team because unlike the Ravens, a lot is changing in Pittsburgh while they're trying to keep it the same. And for listeners who know I've been on the um, trend of repeating the salary cap is not real, the salary cap does not matter – just look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're an example of that, you know, there is a lot more um, reality to this salary cap situation than some other teams make it seem. And it always is in the margins where these teams that are cap stricken lose players. And that's exactly what's going on in Pittsburgh as Doug teased with guys they lost. But before we get there, I want to start with where we last saw Pittsburgh. How could we forget the 12 and four Steelers hosted the 11 five Cleveland Browns for an AFC West wildcard game at Heinz field, right? The Browns jumped out to a 28 zero first quarter lead after four first quarter touchdowns. And since we're talking Steelers, D versus Browns offense, let's keep the focus there because of the way Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski diced the fierce Steelers defense was really the story of that game. Baker completed 21 of 34 passes for 263 yards and three touchdowns. We'll discuss what that game means going forward for the Browns at the end of this pod. But again, focusing on how Baker was able to do that to a Steelers defense that in a way in that wild card game looked a lot like it will in week one of the 2021 season. Coming into that game, the Steelers had the number one ranked defense according to DVOA. Of course, they have plenty of talk, plenty of talent to talk about, which we're going to get to. But really, it's Pittsburgh's blitz happy scheme that is the impetus of their success under Mike Tomlin. They blitz at the third highest rate in the NFL, 40% behind only Baltimore and Miami, two really good defensive-minded teams as well. They led the NFL in pressure percentage, 35%, 5% higher than Tampa Bay or Baltimore. Now, that's a collection of data based off their 17-game season, but to understand Pittsburgh, you have to break their season into what I think is two parts. Their fully healthy run, weeks one through 12. Yes, they lost Devin Bush in week six, but you'll see that it was a defense from what I gathered that could sustain the loss of Bush, 
But then when Bud Dupree went down in week 12 versus the Ravens, things really started to unfold. After that, they lost five of their last six games, including two games to Cleveland. And when you look back at their season, you notice a stretch where, yes, they did well against Tennessee and Baltimore right after losing Devin Bush, right after that Browns game, the you know, really the game that changed everything before heading to Cincinnati in that in that for that first quarter. But it was more about what they were after losing Bud Dupree. After that, they struggled against the Bengals. They almost lost it all against the Colts before really rallying late. And then we know what happened against the Browns. So before I get into their losses and what that means for a post-Steelers team without Bud Dupree, because the theme remains, losing him in Week 12 to now, he's not coming back. He, he's gone in free agency to the Tennessee Titans on a, on a big-time deal. Guys, looking back at that Steelers season, and Doug, you really were on it, the first one on it that I remember hearing say, like, wait a second, is is this Steelers team legit? What a wild year for Steelers fans. I mean, they they really beat up on some suspect quarterbacks and then lost to a bad Bengals team at the end there, and now here they sit. Doug, you want to take a victory lap at all? Because you were you were on this first. Uh, no, I don't want Ben Roethlisberger to shoot me with his laser eye. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to keep it down on that. But, but I'm very intrigued by a point you're bringing up here that I want to have Scott answer because Scott always does this and it's talking about losing guys in tandem. And I think you're making a very interesting point. I'm sure we'll get into this Ellis, but so it wasn't just losing Bud Dupree. As you said, it was losing like Bud Dupree on top of Devin Bush already being gone. And anytime anybody I say, well, Nick Chubb was out, Scott always says, and Wyatt Teller was out, right? That, That's right. It's, it's when you start adding things together. So like when you start, part of this, Ellis is like, okay, well, they lost Bud Dupree and they fell off a cliff. And it's like, man, they maybe really needed to sign Bud Dupree. But they're getting Devin Bush back, Scott. Like that idea of like do you, that, the accumulation of injuries, right? You're very aware of that, it, that it's what Teller and Chubb do together, right? It's not just one or the other. I'm, I'm curious a little bit about, you know, when you hear like a Devin Bush injury and a Bud Dupree injury, do you, do you think of those like together, the accumulation? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's rare on a football field to find one position or – especially on a defense where one position is just going to ruin everything. Obviously offense has some spots where, where that's the case, but, but yeah, I think you have to look at it in multiple and you know what, even losing those guys, it's not, it's not like the Steelers fell off the table here. They, most of their games were relatively close before and after those injuries. Uh, They were a good defense throughout the season, but the offense did just enough to win games, even the games he started losing late in the season, it wasn't, those were pretty close games, like seven points, 10 points, four points. So the Steelers were kind of who they were throughout. And I think they were, they were beating the odds through those first 11 games. They were playing above their abilities in a way, as far as how many wins they got. You know, we talked about how the Browns had a negative point differential for much of the season last season, and their record did not reflect that the Steelers were, were very similar in that respect and that they were winning more than they probably should have. And maybe when – I know Ellis is going to kind of lay out how the defense changes stuff, but I, I look at the Steelers and I don't know if those injuries had the kind of impact – let me say it this way. I don't think I – w- I wouldn't point to injuries on the defense as the reason for the Steelers' downfall. I think maybe just odds caught up with them in a way. And if you look at the scores of those games, that, that kind of backs that up, I think. That maybe they were just a twelve and four team all along. It just so happened that they started eleven and zero and finished one and four, right? That that, but they might have. Right. They were never a fifteen and one kind of team anyway. Ellis, right. right. I don't know if you'll reset it like this, but I am very still curious. Like how many to hear from you? How how many like great defensive players do you think this defense still has? Right? Because like, if I'm just thinking like T.J. Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, Cam Hayward. Those are still at least three guys that spring to mind. Like they're still pretty decently stacked, which I'm sure we'll get into, but also you can't deny that they've lost some dudes. 
Yeah, that, let's set it up that, that way with talking about who they lost and then who's still here. And I think the way Scott laid that out is a really accurate way to summarize what happened to Pittsburgh. They went from a defense that was great to good after losing Dupree and Bush. And then they went from good to cracked due to how the Browns did them in week 17 in the wild card game, which we're going to get into, which goes beyond player and roster and injuries. And it goes to more scheme and how you were out coached on the field, which is what Scott was getting to, which is something I, I want to spend some time on. But as we talk about what happened in the Steelers defense, Doug, who's still here, who isn't the Steelers have four key defensive starters to replace again, lost Bud Dupree. They also lost inside linebacker, Vince Williams, an eight year veteran. So if you're doing the math at home, that's Bud Dupree coming off of an ACL injury that happened in early to mid October, you know, nine to 12 months for that injury. We'll, we'll see how healthy he is. Uh, and then no Vince Williams, who really didn't come off the field for them at inside linebacker. And then defensive back is going to be a huge issue for them. They lost slot corner, Mike Hilton, a guy we thought maybe would work in Cleveland. I believe he's in Cincinnati now. And then they cut other outside corner or starting outside corner alongside Joe Hayden, Steve Nelson to save like 8.25 million against the cap which leaves the Steelers very top-heavy, which is what I think you were getting at, Doug. In that 3-4 base defense, they still feature Cam Hayward, Stephon Tuitt, and they brought back Tyson Alualu, which actually was a funny story to look into. Uh, Alualu, who is a guy that really they did not have a replacement for, played the traditional nose in their defense. He signed a contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, right before the end of March, And it seemed like he was gone, right? He contracts COVID-19, has to stay home in quarantine. So he can't get to Jacksonville, right? To sign and to go through his physicals and all that. Stays home in quarantines. And Cam Hayward talks him into staying in Pittsburgh. And he bails on Jacksonville and re-signs with the Steelers. I, I stumbled upon that this morning. I thought that was pretty interesting. Cam Hayward is a very persuasive guy. Not to try to sell books, but... I'm doing an Ohio State book, and I talked to Cam Hayward for it. And he, I knew, having covering Cam, he is a lovely person. But if Cam Hayward sat me down and said, Doug, you need to be an astrophysicist, I would be in astrophysicist school tomorrow, and I would, like, stop doing podcasts. Like, he is a persuasive dude. Yeah, this doesn't happen much in the league. Um, being a, from Minnesota, I remember Anthony Barr, the Vikings linebacker, was going to leave for the New York Jets, like, two years ago. And obviously, had nothing to do with COVID, but eventually you get talked out of it and it's something similar there, right? Like the jets or the Jags or come back to the defense you're used to take a little less money and let's run this back. That's what happened with Alu Alu, which solidifies them up front. They'll remain stout assuming health, but that also can't be assumed. I came upon this tidbit of information. Uh, Tewitt and Hayward have missed at least 25% of the games and even more snaps uh, in their past five seasons together, they've only played two full seasons over those five, and it's all because of injury. In 2019, Tuit played just six games, and he played 12 in 2017. He managed only 58% of the snaps that season. Hayward has been more consistent. In 2016, he, he missed a lot of time, seven games due to a torn pack. Uh, so really, it's a Tuit issue. But point being is, even though those two sound really nice on paper, you look a little deeper, and it's not like they're, you know – John Johnson and Troy Hill for the Rams and never coming out the field. These guys, even being on the same roster, don't play 100% of the snaps. So they're stout there, but still have some question marks just in how they pair and how they're going to have depth behind it. And depth continues to be an issue. They'll be a top 10 unit, assuming health again, but safety is another spot where they also have a good duo, Mika Fitzpatrick, Terrell Edmonds, and that's really as good as you're going to find, right? Fitzpatrick being an all-pro, Edmonds has his inefficiencies in pass coverage, but you you like a a lot what he does along the line of scrimmage. Now that's them at safety and up front, probably two of the least important spots in a 3-4 defense because when you look at the interior of this defense, it starts to become question marks. The linebackers, we've already gone over, and then edge rusher. We went over Bud Dupree. And then the issues at cornerback replacing Bud Dupree will be an issue, double digit sacks. They're going to try to fill him in with Alex Highsmith, a second year player who stepped up fine, but now must 
play a full-time role. We saw what that happens when guys do that. Chris Hubbard is a great swing tackle. He can come in in times to play guard. He had a game-winning block against the Colts. When asked to be a full-time guy, things change. Of course, T.J. Watt is T.J. Watt, but who spells him? Who are these guys? That is questions that Pittsburgh will have to figure out. There's great stats out there on Bud Dupree's um, unblocked pressure and sack numbers, and that's a product of having T.J. Watt Alex Highsmith and Bud Dupree, that trio, and now it really is TJ Watt, the last one standing. Same can be said at corner. Mike Hilton walks, cuts Steve Nelson, meaning Cam Sutton st- steps into a starting role, which is fine. He deserves it. But what about the nickel spot that Sutton vacates? Sliding a guy up works, but it's usually what fills behind them that creates weak links in the chain. Just ask Browns fans about having a sliding door at slot corner. It creates issues. So, again, they'll get linebacker Devin Bush back. But after Hayward, it, Bush, Watt, Fitzpatrick, and kind of Joe Hayden, all these guys are either aging, Hayward, it, Hayden, all over 30, or injured Bush, Watt, and Fitzpatrick, your two studs you really don't have to worry about. Behind that, it's a lot of unknown and young guys behind their studs as you teased up top, Doug. I mean, this is the story of the league now, right, Scott? That like this is this is what the cap does. This is why it's hard to be great for a long time, and the Steelers have been great for a long time. But uh, you know, as the Browns were trying to get good, they had they had some good players, but like it was always like, well, the depth. I mean, my gosh, like maybe they can put twenty two guys out there, but if they have a couple injuries or something, like they're not. And and if that's what the Steelers are doing while as much as we always talk about, you know, the top end guys for the Browns, they, they clearly have built some depth here beyond what they had in previous years. And this, I guess, Scott, this is just, this is the price of doing business in the NFL, but it may, would make sense to me of like, okay, well, the Steelers are kind of paying the piper a little bit and the Browns are on the way up and, and the cap is part of it. The Steelers seem like they're a year away from Sashi Brown showing up and, just tearing the whole thing down and, uh, you know, getting rid of some aging players who make money and just, you know, we're going on a five-year plan here. <laughs> and I, uh, I love the idea of Sashi as like this NFL grim reaper now of like, Oh, he's just a consultant. He's just walking the sideline, getting the lay of the land. Don't worry guys. Yeah. There's gotta be some baseball exec out there that, uh, that's going to show up on the Steelers sideline next season. It's kind of taking notes, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, this, look, the Steelers, they were, they were one of the teams that when, when the, when the salary cap uh, didn't go up again this season, they were one of the teams that people talked about. And, you know, as I'm going to get into Roethlisberger restructured his deal and, you know, they had to do things like that. So yeah, the, the window is not big. The window is like this season for the Steelers in a lot of ways. So you know, they just have to deal with it. And I, I mean, they still got a lot of talent on this defense. They got their three, their top three guys in terms of pressure on the defensive line. So, you know, they have talent, but again, you, you have injuries and these guys can't play hundred percent of the snaps all season. So those are some issues they got to deal with. It does feel like, right? Like the great teams can have a great season, even if everything doesn't go perfectly right? Because they have the depth, because they have coaching to absorb it. it, it and then bad teams are just bad. And then there's those teams just like, well, it's everything. If everything goes perfectly, we're okay. Right. And it feels like maybe Ellis, what you're describing with his defense is like, listen, if, if, if all the guys are okay, like they still, they are who they are, but also it's like, start pulling like two pegs out of the wall and the whole thing might collapse, which is sort of what happened even at the end of last year, you pulled out a couple pegs, and listen, that's tough. They lost some dudes, but that's where they are. They aren't at that stage anymore where they're the Steelers defensively almost no matter what. There is a there is a matter what now. Yeah, like if they if the NFL was just a 32 team single elimination tournament that started in in week 1 and you played 6 weeks to get to the title kind of like an NCAA tournament type thing, the Steelers would be in a great spot. You know, these they have key players at valuable positions who 100% healthy will be fine. But that's been the issue really with the Steelers the past three seasons. They flame out at the end, which is a combination of a 
tired quarterback, which Scott's going to get into, and a defense that has depth that is not proven and then is asked to fill in when they're not ready to. So that is really what became the crux of what did the Steelers defense in when we look at week 17 and the wild card game versus the Browns. So what does this top heavy Steelers defense mean for Cleveland? Basically from my assessment, the Browns sit in a rare spot of having the high ground versus the Steelers. They figured them out. The plan was simple, throw quick and run effectively in week 17, Baker completed just 17 to 27 passes for 196 yards and a touchdown. But here's the key. His average time to throw was 3.0 seconds. Let's focus on that stat. His average time to throw in the wild card game was 2.43 seconds. Compare that to week six when his average time to throw was an elongated 3.6 seconds. That's basically a half second improvement in each game which tells me both the game plan evolved while appearing more simplistic and that Baker plus Stefanski knew exactly how to attack Pittsburgh. I'll continue to elaborate on this a little more, but guys, that's where we're at with this Steelers defense. It's no names with limited depth and a Browns offense that combining week 17 with the wild card game, figure out how to not let Pittsburgh's thing. They do so well, the pressure get to him and that was the result the blowout win really the wild card game when it all came together baker getting the ball out in 2.43 seconds i don't think we talk about enough how impressive of a game plan that was from stefanski to baker to alex van pelt to really knock mike tomlin and the steelers down a peg and probably have them rethinking their defense especially on how they face the cleveland browns i feel like i must interject here since we're talking about that game and remind everybody that Doug and Ellis were two of the people on our staff who wanted to pick the loss to the Ravens as the Browns game of the year and not this wild card game that Ellis is talking up here, <laughs> not this wild card game where the Browns didn't have their coach, didn't have their left guard that had Robert Jackson starting on defense, didn't have Denzel Ward. Anyways, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I should mention that anytime I get the chance. But, but Lamar Jackson had to go to the bathroom. I mean, what, What's Monday, Monday night football, right? Exactly. Can I, can I interject another interjection? Sure. I've That's what we st- do here, right? It's got to have an interjection. <laughs> <laughs> it's a four-hour podcast. Only tangents. <laughs> Ellis, I think it's possible you just birthed the idea for the alternative football league to the NFL that would actually work in a spring window. And it is if you start with 32 teams – and it is a five-week single elimination season. And at the beginning of the year, you could have like the first game, like all the teams have like a roster of like 35 or something, let's say. And then after every round, every team that's left, there's an expansion draft of every team that lost. And you get to add like three players from the pool of guys whose teams were eliminated. And so by the end of the year, you have like four teams left but the four teams are made up of like all the best players in the league because the winning teams get to advance and the best players constantly get picked by the teams that are still alive. And it is like a five week free for all. And I would like to invest in this league right now and get it up and running for next spring. Yeah. Didn't the rock just buy the XFL a few months ago, like we almost should cut this part of the podcast out, not put it live and hold on to this idea because I do, I think we're onto something like why should alternative leagues follow the same regimen and schedule of NFL and college seasons, mix it up, do something different and inject variables. And that's exactly what we just birthed here. Anyone got the rocks on, on Instagram or DM them or something. You know what? I bet you Mary Kay has a number for the rock. If I had to bet, we yeah. will have to cut her in uh, on the deal to get the contact to the rock. Cause she knows everybody. All right. Anyway, I don't know what's going to be said to the rest of the podcast. I'm just gonna be thinking about this league, but there's more stuff about the Steelers defense. I assume I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that is, that is uh, the point of this dive as we uh, sit here and think about our, our future millions and earnings for our <laughs> way in the rock Johnson partnered league. Um, but again, focusing on 
that week 17 game or excuse me, the, the wild card game and combined with the, the week 17 one, it really is the short game that did the Steelers in. In week 17, Baker went 11 of 13 for 92 yards and, and a touchdown on throws either behind the line of scrimmage or shorter than nine yards. In the wild card game, Baker, Stefanski, and of course, Alex Van Pelt doubled down on that quick game strategy. Mayfield completed 16 of 21 throws, nine yards or shorter. Five of those were behind line of scrimmage for 174 yards and a touchdown. That's a complete indictment indictment on Steelers linebackers. Think the Nick Chubb screen and their corner situation. Think the Jarvis Landry third down and four deep slant across the middle touchdown. Two spots they are weaker at now than they were in that game. Yes, they'll get Devin Bush back 100% healthy at some point. I get that. But the question marks remain of their depth and replacing those four key starters. So because I feel like I just, you know, gave it to the Steelers a bit for 30 minutes there, I will say this, and I'm curious on your guys' thoughts on this. I think it's very important to keep in mind that the Browns and Steelers didn't play one normal game in 2020. On some Seahawks energy stuff, all three games were quite irregular. Week six, of course, the, the opening interception for Baker Mayfield, that, that basically put a, a nail in it. It just wasn't the, the, a Browns team that looked anything like it would come week 18. Week 17, they rest their starters, and then the wildcard game, the 28-0 first quarter. You can't knock a team for starting that well, but that does not happen in most football games. So, yes, those three games were enough of a sample size to say the Browns found a counter to the Steelers' pressure-centric scheme, but this is football. This is the NFL, and smart coaches always find counters to the counters. And while Cleveland enjoys the high ground now, I think we'd both be naive in a Homer podcast to say this Pittsburgh defense is dead. And remember, Mike Tomlin has never finished below 500 in his NFL career. I mean, I will say the way you're describing it, Alice, it feels like the first Steelers game last year was part of the 2020 season. And then the last two games against the Steelers were almost part of the 2021 season to come. That it was the Browns figuring themselves and maybe the Steelers to some degree out and the Steelers having some issues on defense and missing guys that they are going to miss this year. That, But the other point, Scott, is the actual point, don't read anything into really any of those three games and don't, you know, don't go too far because we really sort of are figuring out what the new starting ground is because those three games were all so weird, as Ellis said. Yeah, I, I felt the same way while doing uh, this, preparing for the pod this week. I, that we never really saw the true Browns against the true Steelers. I mean, you look at the guys who got snaps in those games, especially in that wild card game, uh, you know, and I was focusing on the defense and the guys who were on the field for the Browns. And so many of them are either not on this team or will not be in that position again. Uh, And then obviously the Steelers uh, had guys, you know, on the sideline in week 17. So it's, yeah. And, we've talked about Chubb and and Teller and and the issues in week six. And it's just the Steelers and we've talked the Ravens game week one, there was just a couple times last season where it's like, that wasn't, that was an outlier. That wasn't what we're taking a lot away from, even though we're talking about the Steelers and using those games looking forward. It's just, it was a weird season for a lot of reasons. And those three games amazingly just never, they never synced up where they had, or strength on strength. I, I do wonder, Ellis, and I'd, I'd like to get your view on this before we get out of here on this end, is, okay, so this, the Steelers, especially if they're weaker at corner, right, than they were a year ago, you know, adding Odell Beckham back in, Baker's got a better handle on everything. Like that idea of, a, of an outside passing game, a deep passing game, Baker and Odell and Jarvis and Rashard Higgins and Donovan Peoples-Jones against a lessened secondary could we see the Browns, you know, really attack them even more, not just with quick stuff, but try to take some shots on them because maybe they're, they're, they're not worried about those guys. Right. And that, that's really the point we sit at where I'm fascinated to see how a defensive minded coach and really a brilliant one in Mike Tomlin provides a counter to what Kevin Stefanski did in week 17. And then the wild card game, it's the counter to the counter. And, the Browns need to prepare for that, which would be, all right, let's 
assume they're going to sit more on our, our short game, really the chiefs plan, like, all right, our, our athletes are better, but are they, as we mentioned them getting weaker at corner that, that off linebacker who really won't come off the field for them as a guy they can target, whether it be with Hooper or Bryant or Ninjoku, Kareem hunt, they have favorable matchups. And then we're not even theorizing yet about bringing Odell Beckham jr. Either outside or into the slot, allowing him to cross the middle Again, it puts Cleveland in the high ground, but you have to be careful in terms of game flow and what that truly means to what both a defensive play caller like Tomlin wants to do and how that really allows guys like Alex Van Pelt in that wildcard game to play with house money, knowing, all right, if this screen hits, you know, game over, or we have this lead, I could, I, you know, the pressure isn't on us. So, Game flow has so much to do with this. Like Scott said, it just feels like three games that none of them synced up. And until we see a counter to the counter, maybe the quick game just keeps working. And this Steelers defense, though we're assuming rebounds and still has good players and will remain a top 10 unit, just goes completely the other way. All right. We learned about the Steelers defense. And now we will learn about the Steelers' offense and what it means for the Browns' defense. We'll do that next with Scott Pasco on Gotta Watch the Tape. This is Laser Eye Robot Ben Roethlisberger. Scott Patsko, be careful with your words as you dive in on the Steelers' offense on Gotta Watch the Tape. He's not a robot. His, but he might just, be. He might just, be. Part, not his head. His head is not a robot head. That was disingenuous. Just parts of his body okay. are made of robot parts. I, that, that is, I don't want to be unfair. Okay. So if you haven't figured out by now, the biggest development this offseason is Ben Roethlisberger with the Steelers. He decided to return. It seems like we've gone through this for the last handful of years. Not really sure if he's coming back. So he comes back. Takes a pay cut for 2022. He went from 45 million in cap of a cap hit down to about 25 million. This will be his 18th season with the Steelers. He was drafted in 2004. What do we think Ellis was doing in 2004? I imagine he was like dominating his Pop Warner Football League. What was Ellis doing in 2004? Fourth grader. Uh, the way you're able to know that is in graduate high school in 2012. As a 12th grader in 2004, I'd be a fourth grader. It's now 2021. I'm in 21st grade, y'all, here on Gotta Watch the Tape. <laughs> Ellis, Ellis was like, yeah, taking little, uh, had a big video camera on his shoulder as everybody played recess football. And he was like, oh, wait till I break down the film on that route there, Steve. Great little route in uh, three on three. All right. Uh, and we've all grown up or grown old with, with Big Ben, apparently. Um but he's back. He's not the only one. Uh, wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster returns. He got a one-year, $8 million deal. So basically, Roethlisberger's wide receiver group is intact. You got Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, James Washington, all his tight ends. Eric Abron is back. Uh, basically, his top targets and pass catchers last season. Smith-Schuster, Johnson, and Claypool each had over 100 targets last season. No other trio of receivers had more than them. But on the flip side, no QB suffered more drops last season than Roethlisberger. So there's a give and take there. The game that ended their winning streak against Washington in week 12, Steelers had six drops. But again, you have the guys that were targeted the most. Again, I'm coming back. They get the drop problem uh, solved. They got uh, a serious group there. Um, where the Steelers really have holes is on the offensive line. Center Marquise Pouncey retired, which I think starts the countdown on his Hall of Fame induction. And then uh, left tackle uh, Alejandro Villanueva remains unsigned and might be retiring. He was pretty much the mainstay of left tackle the last six seasons. He started every game of the last five. I read a report that the Steelers have told him not to sell his house in Pittsburgh. Maybe they're trying to woo him back. Maybe Cam Hayward <laughs> is on the case. I don't know. Um, but as of right now, they, they, uh, they have not signed him and he's still out there. Um, they did resign some backups like J.C. Hessenauer, Zach Banner, who was with the Browns a few years ago. Uh, they brought in Joe Haug, Joe Haig. I, sorry, Joe, I don't know how to pronounce your name. But he was a starter with the Colts back in 2016 and 2017, but he's only started three games over the last two seasons. He was with the Bucks last year. Um, whatever the case, there aren't any obvious replacements in that group. The Steelers were, the, were PFF's fourth-ranked team in pass blocking grade last season, and Villanueva had the best offensive grade among the Steelers' linemen. He gave up nine pressures over three games against the Browns. 
but he, he only graded below 70 in pass pro just once and below 70 in run blocking just once. He was clearly their most consistent lineman. Uh, as for Pouncey, the last two seasons weren't his best. He kind of fell off on grading, at least. Um, in the wildcard game, he earned an offensive grade of 29. Woo. It was 23.4 against the run. He gave up five pressures and two QB hits in that game, and it was it was just a rough ending to a great career. I think he was one of the guys on the sideline crying with Roethlisberger, and, I mean, that was a rough way to go out. I, I thought he was crying because he perhaps sensed it was an end of an era there, right? That maybe he oh, yeah. he was going to retire. He thought Ben might go. And now it right. turns out that we know that he was crying. He was going, my PFF grade is going to be so bad. It's going to be like in the 20s, man. Oh, I can't believe it. I think that was probably it. Uh, we should mention that the Steelers were also, uh, they were ranked 31st in run blocking by PFF. So a big difference there between pass blocking and run blocking. Which brings us to the backfield where running back James Conner remains a free agent. Surprise, surprise. Nobody has signed him. I'm not sure how the Browns feel about that. They held Conner in check most of the games they played against the Steelers, but Conner also had his best games against the Browns. In 2018, 281 yards, four touchdowns over two games. Last season, week six, 101 yards, one touchdown. I think pretty sure he was the first running back to go over 100 yards on them last season. One of the few by the end overall. Um, but this is a guy who averaged 4.3 yards per carry, which ranked 34th last season. He never averaged over four and a half yards per carry, which over the last few years gets you ranked like somewhere in the low twenties. Uh, the Steelers still have Benny Snell in the backfield, a guy who's averaged less than four yards per carry in his two seasons. Uh, you'll see some people thinking the Steelers are going to target a running back in the draft because of all this um, but that's kind of an overview of where the Steelers are after free agency. They tried to keep the band together, but they lost a chunk of their rhythm section, I guess, with the offensive line. And then Connor, I guess we'll call him their touring guitarist. So nobody ever really considered a full member of the band. I don't know, those are my analogies for this, but that's, that's a look at where the Steelers are at so far. I am here for the Scott Patsco post on comparing parts of a band to a football okay. team. I wanted to call him a roadie. I felt that was a little too harsh. So uh, I mean, he was part of the band, sort of. Yeah. So listen, there's there's three guys that I want to talk about specifically uh, and get your opinion on sort of what you thought might happen with them, because I don't know if we all thought the band was going to be back together. But let's and I want to go in reverse order. Let's start with James Conner and the idea as someone who owned James Conner in fantasy football last year. I think he's not good. And well, if you look at mock drafts and stuff like. Najee Harris or a guy like that from Bama or like there's enough decent running backs late in the first round might make sense. I do think it, it's possible that if you put in a back who can do a little something on his own, it feels like James Conner does nothing on his own, that you could give this offense quite a boost. I don't know enough to know if they're going to go for sure and pick a running back, but there's going to be some big name running backs. Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, you know, late in the first round, they're going to be there for them. Scott, like that's, that's got to be at least on their mind a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. And the, the, the Steelers' downfall is a run-blocking team, and this is a rushing team coincides with Le'Veon Bell's departure. So, yeah, I think having talent in the backfield, you know, you'll hear a lot of times running backs don't matter, but there is, there is a level of mattering when it comes to running backs. And James Conner, I think, kind of shows that. I think I saw today the Bengals released Gio Bernard. I don't, I don't know if he's an option or not, but – I mean, yeah, Connor was not the answer. And despite what he did against the Browns, he was not giving the Steelers what they needed out of that position. Yeah, really, Scott, you're right. This coincides exactly with Le'Veon Bell, who will call their Justin Bieber the offense, you know, singing, <laughs> dancing, making it all happen. <laughs> because once they tried to replace him, they realized it was impossible. I, I've got a little nugget for you guys here as you, as you marinate in that, in that Bieber. That, ama that amazingly accurate uh, comparison. <laughs> that is great. Right. Over the last six games this season, uh, including the loss of Cleveland, the Steelers averaged 52.2 rushing yards per game. Again, the, Following Le'Veon Bell's departure in 2019, over their final three losses, they averaged just 72 yards rushing per game. And then back in 2018, their final four losses over six games, they averaged just 61 yards rushing per game. 
it's a clear correlation. Yes, it's a passing league, but as the Browns showed, as the Tampa Bay Bucks showed this year with playoff Lenny Fournette and then Super Bowl Lenny Fournette, the ground game takes pressure off the QB, less wear and tear. There's not as much tightness and angst and need to complete a pass because you just can run the football. And though this is an indictment on James Conner, as it should be, he's not that talented a running back as he remains unsigned. Doug, your fantasy football analysis there was spot on. The Steelers also don't have a commitment to running the football, which again brings the analogy to Justin Bieber actually probably pretty fitting because they are really lazy and simplistic in their run game. It's a lot of draw. It's a lot of just zone assignment where let's let this guy create not much push up front. And that's what Le'Veon Bell is able to do since losing him and letting someone else say, hey, just go and create, or, Hey, take this check down and make two or three guys miss, which Le'Veon Bell could do. James Conner and Benny Snell cannot. I think they absolutely need a talented running back early. I just don't think they'll actually go that way. I was going to ask my next question in Justin Bieber, whisper talk voice, because every song he sings, he's just whisper talking. Did you think that Juju Smith-Schuster was going to sign with another team? I thought he'd be back in Pittsburgh, but I don't know if he would be. But I decided not to do that because nobody wants to hear that. Juju Smith-Schuster, to me, is he a little bit of like, like is Rashard Higgins this offseason, I thought was maybe like a little bit of like Juju light in that their existing teams like them, but their existing teams also have other receivers and they probably weren't going to go too far to keep them. And then Rashard Higgins and Juju Smith-Schuster both went out into the world. And I think maybe they both found that it wasn't exactly what they thought it would be. And Rashard Higgins came back and Juju got a lot more than Rashard Higgins did, but I thought Juju was going to be gone, Scott. And it feels like he's back because nobody wanted to give him the multi-year contract he maybe was looking for. Yeah. I read a report that said he turned down more money to come back. So there's that. that. That's the difference with Higgins. But I think both these guys really made clear on social media that they wanted to return, that they, that they, you know, liked where they were and, you know, might turn out that just this best situation for both of them. I mean, Smith Schuster is going to get a ton of targets playing for the Steelers and he's in a spot where he, he excelled. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is a little bit of, kind of humbling experience maybe in a way that, that maybe you didn't get the amount of offers or the kind of offers you really wanted and and coming back to your old team just makes more sense then with the fact i mean they have chase claypool they have james washington they have deontay johnson but ellis like is juju smith schuster still important like was it important for the steelers to get him back or would they have been okay without him i think it was a huge accomplishment to get Juju Smith-Schuster to return. I think they would have found a way to duplicate what he does. And in a way, maybe it would have forced them to evolve more because they wouldn't have been able to lean on Juju, but he does so much of the heavy lifting in this offense. I mean, he really is their running back in all terms of the short passing game. I mean, his average depth per target uh, was lowest in the league, if I'm not mistaken, but his yak was top four, top three, something like that. He's an explosive, tough receiver. I think he got a bit of a bad rep this year just with some, you know, dancing on the logo and all that stuff. If we're talking about a football player, Juju Smith-Schuster is really talented. He means a lot to this offense. And I think he'll get paid handsomely next year once the cap goes back up and teams can throw three or four years at him and, pair him with someone like, I mean, imagine like the Kansas City Chiefs adding Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, he, the work he's able to do in the middle of the field is uh, special in a league where only probably 10 to 12 guys um, get open as consistently as he does across the middle. All right. Ben Roethlisberger, last one. You know, if you follow Steelers writers on Twitter and that kind of thing, there was like a day or at least like 12 hours where it felt like it was over in Pittsburgh. Like somebody was, I don't know if it was the agent or if somebody with the Steelers or what, there was some little time where it felt like, okay, that's it. They're heading for a divorce or he's not going to play or something. And then all of a sudden he restructured and he was back. Scott, did you at any point think there was a decent chance that Ben Roethlisberger was done in Pittsburgh one way or the other? After the wildcard game, I did, but as, as time went on and, you know, he, you, you get further and further away from the season and nobody's coming out and saying one way or the other. And then I thought for a time that maybe he'd want to come back, but the Steelers are like, you know what? Thanks, but we, we got to move on here. But then he gets the backing of Rooney and then, you know, the new deal. And it's just, 
it really is a surprise um, considering, but, but if you consider what else they got in the quarterback room there, they don't have his successor on that roster. And you could go ahead and move on to somebody else, but why not just bring back Ben for one more season and see what you can get out of it. The offense is kind of built around his abilities and everything's set up with him right now, instead of coming in bringing in someone else for a year or trying to go up and get a rookie and throwing them in. And it just, if you look at all their options for 2021, this, it started to make sense. Dwayne Haskins, Dwayne Haskins notes the disrespect. He takes it as a challenge. Scott Patsko noted. Dwayne is listening. Sorry, Alice, I had to get that in. Yeah, it's a great point because I was going to say and not mention Dwayne Haskins that there was nobody in that room to to replace Ben Roethlisberger. It's real. It's all they had. It's almost like the Steelers were in a position where they were in a good relationship prior to quarantine that they saw was about to end, but then quarantine happens and you're like, well, I'm not going to be able to go out and meet anyone else. We'll, we'll probably just stay together for this pandemic year. And then once it gets back to normal, we're going to go out and go our separate ways. This seems like a one-year thing because the options weren't available for them uh, as we entered free agency this year. You know, the one that- thing that, that I thought was possible for them in the world of like, we don't want to turn it over to a rookie, but you knew that Carson Wentz was going to be available and you knew that Sam Darnold was going to be available. And if you would have said, all right, we try to want to keep it rolling. These guys have played. They're not brand new. I thought – you know, there were ways if they would have said, all right, we'll throw a second and a fourth rounder at it, you know, and then try to keep it going. There there was a little bit of a weird quarterback availability that I thought maybe they would try to jump on. Listen, I mean, this the exact thing the Colts did, the Steelers could have done. They tr- could have tried to go get Wentz, right? So that was the one thing I was curious about. But given the way things are, and again, as you guys are saying, if they're just keeping it all together for one more year, and then, Scott, they really may be heading toward – Ben tear down rookie quarterback and bottom out for a year or two, but they're trying to run it back one more time with Ben. Yeah. I think, I think when you look at the Steelers, they want commitment. They're not the kind of team that just gets a bridge, you know, like they hire a coach. He's there for forever. They get a quarterback. Now he's there for forever. And I think that's, that's why we got Ben for another season here. Okay. We will get back in sort of what the Steelers did well against the Browns last season, some, you know, what the Browns defensive moves mean for the Steelers. And we'll do that next on Gotta Watch the Tape. Doug Maurice back with Ellis Williams and Scott Patsko. All right, Scott, keep rolling on what's happening with the Steelers offense. So we hear people talk about the Steelers and Roethlisberger this offseason, and it's as if they went 4-12 and last year. You just get that vibe. But they didn't. That was actually flipped. Uh, and they won the division, as everybody in Cleveland knows. Yes, the Steelers have an aging quarterback with a weak arm and no running game and questions on the offensive line. But if you don't think the Steelers could win with those kinds of issues this year, you weren't watching last season because the offense was designed to deal with all that. The Steelers led the league in passing attempts, 656. Roethlisberger had 608 of those, which tied for second most of his career. But he was sacked just 13 times, which is the lowest total of his career. Not only that, Teams got pressure on him. Teams that got pressure on him only turned that pressure into a sack 9.9% of the time. That tied for 38th among QBs. The other guy at 9.9% was Patrick Mahomes. They're they're the only two that low. This isn't because the Steelers had the best offensive line in football. Ellis will tell you that line is here in Cleveland. It's because Roethlisberger got rid of the ball faster than any quarterback in the league, just 2.3 seconds on average. His average intended air yards was only 6.9. And his air yards on completions was even shorter than that, 4.6. I heard the offense described as death by a thousand paper cuts. And that's really what it was. They ranked seventh in plays per game last season. And they were first in completions per game. Uh, Steelers also led the NFL in wide receiver targets of zero to five yards beyond the line of scrimmage. They had 186 of those. And roughly half of Roethlisberger's attempts last season, so about 300, were targeted in the zero to nine yard range behind the, or beyond the line of scrimmage. He completed 76% of those with an average time to throw of two seconds. So again, those aren't check downs. Those are first reads. They're crossing routes five yards deep or stick routes where the receiver's just running five yards and turning around. It's, it's a running game disguised in a passing game, which is kind of what Ellis was talking about was Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, and that's that's how they move the ball. The Steelers' real running game was disguised as like a car with no wheels. I don't know. I I used up all my great analogies on the, the band thing. 
but we'll just say it wasn't any good. Um, they averaged a league low 84.4 yards per game, which I have to believe was a franchise record. I, I didn't look it up, but I'm just going to assume that's true because it has to be. Uh, they were 30th in power success rate, which is short yardage success. They were 31st at second level yards, which is like five to 10 runs of five to 10 yards. And they were 28th in stuffed rate, which is getting stuffed for no gain or a loss. Uh, the Steelers were one of just two teams to average less than four yards per carry when they ran up the middle or behind their guards last season. And remember, that's where Pouncey was, but also where guards David DeCastro and Matt Feeler were, and they're both returning this season. As we kind of alluded to before, it's really been a slow decline for this run game uh, since 2016, 2017. Le'Veon Bell had back-to-back 1,200-yard seasons in those two years. He was fifth in DVOA among running backs in 2016, and they were fifth as a pass-blocking team that year. Then Connor kind of takes over. He's never been above 20th in DVOA. He's been in the 30s two of the last three seasons. So the Steelers were not a complete offense last season, and the odds are against them becoming one in 2021. Obviously, they relied on one of the league's best defenses to put them in positions to win, but they did win 12 games last season with an offense that has most of it important most of its important parts returning and they're getting a new offensive coordinator in Matt Canada, who was promoted from QB coach after just one year in the league. We're not sure what the offense will look like with him. I read scouting reports that talked about how he's known for his creativity, a lot of pre-snap movement. Um, he did spread offenses in college, but you know, at this point, Roethlisberger is not a QB. He's going to radically change the way he plays. I suspect in 2021, uh, the Steelers are in Canada are going to have to adapt their offense to fit what they have in Roethlisberger and what, are, what they do or don't have in the run game. And, and that might end up looking different than the post Roethlisberger years if that starts in 2022. But I would suspect that you're going to see a similar strategy next season, getting the ball out of Roethlisberger's hands quick, especially if the Steelers don't get a really great uh, or really great replacements for, for their center and, and left tackle. Do you like the Pittsburgh offense, Ellis, or is it just an offense of necessity that they've got to play this way because of this is who their quarterback is and this is what the run game is? Or do you actually like the plan? I liked it at first. You know, I thought there was a point in the season when that I was like, wow, they really are committed to this short uh, death by a thousand paper cuts style. But there was no counter, as I talked about in the first segment. There, there was no additional layer to that. And really what this comes down to is probably a regret of not keeping Le'Veon Bell and Big Ben tied to each other. As Big Ben aged, it became clear of his dependency on throwing either at or near the line of scrimmage. Whether you hand the ball off to Le'Veon or throw it short to him, that's exactly where he excels. And they were never able to fill that void, not allowing another level to their offense, not allowing any variance. I think Matt Canada is the wild card here. The pre-snap motion is exactly what I was reading, Scott, and something they did a little bit last year, then got rid of probably because big Ben doesn't like it. And he calls his own shots. It's going to come down to big Ben's discipline in this offense. If he just, if they just come out and run this back, Doug, the short answer, the simple way to put this is no, I don't like it. It's not going to work again. They need to evolve. I don't know if they will, though, with how big, how stuck Big Ben is in his ways. So we think about where the Steelers are, their trajectory as an offense. And with, we're talking, Scott, right? I mean, they want there's a quick passing game, get the ball out of the quarterback's hands, not much of a run game. And then we think about Troy Hill and John Johnson, and if Grant Delpit and Greedy Williams get healthy, how are the Browns prepared to deal with this reality? What changed this offseason in terms of that relationship? Yeah, I mean, we all expect the Browns' defense to be better next season, and there are obvious reasons for that, like the additions of Johnson and Hill, and also the return of uh, Delpit, Greedy Williams. And really, it's the work Andrew Barry did with the back seven that makes the Browns better against the Steelers next season. It didn't matter who the Browns added at edge rusher opposite Miles Garrett because – as we've noted, the Steelers' offense kind of negates a pass rush. This is why I put more importance on coverage. You can't negate coverage like you can pass rush unless you're a crazy, incredible running team that doesn't have to throw on third down. The Browns sacked uh, Roethlisberger twice last season. Both of those came in week six. They pressured him four times in that game. 
and the two sacks came out of that. And the wildcard game, he was under pressure 14 times, but the Browns didn't get a sack, and that pressure led to one interception. The other three were from a clean pocket. So, again, coverage is important. Um, Hill's addition in the slot and the potential of having Johnson and Delpit get reps there too solves a problem the Browns for the Browns, uh, especially when it comes to the Steelers, because the Steelers ranked sixth in targeting the slot receiver last season, and they scored 13 touchdowns throwing at that position, which also ranked sixth. The Browns defensively were fourth in targets against the slot, 197, and gave up 13 touchdowns, which tied for third most. Hill's passer rating against when he's in the slot was sixth lowest last season among safeties, 75.8. Nobody ranked ahead of him had as many snaps in the slot as Troy Hill. MJ Stewart, by the way, he ranked 13th in this category in passer rating against, which might be a reason why he's here and Kevin Johnson isn't. Johnson was ranked 31st in passer rating against out of the slot. John Johnson ranked 23rd among safeties in passer rating against from the slot. So again, you're getting a big upgrade there. Only three safeties ranked ahead of him had more reps at slot than John Johnson. So I don't know if Andrew Barry was specifically targeting slot defense, but he certainly ramped it up and improved based on what these guys did in the past. Where the Browns can really improve against the Steelers, I think is in communication between their safeties and their linebackers, especially when it comes to identifying short routes and crossing routes and identifying them when they're going across the field and having players passed off from one position to the next because communication seemed like an issue throughout last season. Now you have two guys in the middle of the field for the Browns who have been described as super smart in John Johnson and Anthony Walker. And those crossing routes, like 10 to 15 yards downfield, they were there last season in the wildcard game. Roethlisberger just missed them. Like the third drive of the game, he overthrew Smith-Schuster on a crossing route about 10, 10 yards deep. Jacob Phillips didn't get deep enough, didn't really recognize that somebody was running right behind him, and Roethlisberger just overthrew him. That, it would have been a big play. The next play, uh, Roethlisberger throws behind Deontay Johnson about 10 yards deep on a cross. Robert Jackson tried to pass him off into the middle of the field, but nobody, nobody reacted to that, and that was the pick. That's the one that's thrown behind Johnson, goes off his hand, and Sheldrick Redwine uh, dies for it, and it's an interception. So the Browns got away with stuff like that in the wildcard game because the deeper Roethlisberger threw, the worse his accuracy got last season. He was fourth in the league in passes beyond 20 yards, but he completed just 33% of them, which was ranked 31st. So in that wildcard game, by the way, Terrence Mitchell, MJ Stewart, Robert Jackson led the Browns in snaps. That's 100%, 98%, and 86% of the snaps. Carl Joseph was your strong safety. Red Wine and Sandejo split time at free safety. Ronnie Harrison I was coming back from injury. He only played a handful of snaps. Most of those players are gone, and the ones that are still here aren't expected to play a significant role at all in 2021. So if all goes well, the Browns should start the season with upgrades at all those positions. I really hope the Browns play the Steelers early in the season this year to get a good idea of how this defense will work and look against a team that doesn't give up much pressure and that puts a lot of stress on the back seven and coverage because that's going to be a great measuring stick going forward for this defense. Scott, you have been on this the entire offseason of the idea of investing in coverage and not necessarily that opposite edge rusher. You know, they still might get Jadavion Clowney. I'm going to put Jadavion Clowney's name in the headline of this podcast just to get people to listen to it because that's where we are right now, which is great. And he might be a Brown. He very well might be a Brown. But when we think about the two teams that we've covered so far in this offseason breakdown, one of them has a quarterback who, like you heart, you can't sack anyway, right? Like, you know, like if you rush Lamar Jackson, he might just escape and run 30 yards downfield. But we were talking about, okay, like John Johnson's a guy like in the middle of the field who might be able to help track down Lamar Jackson. And they're cutting off the middle of the field a little bit in the passing game. And now you're talking about Ben Roethlisberger, who gets rid of the ball so fast, the pass rush doesn't matter. Again, the Browns are trying to win the Super Bowl. It's not just about beating the teams in their division, but that's four games against the Ravens and the Steelers out of 16, where Scott, it feels like this is where this investment in coverage is really going to pay off for two very different styles of quarterbacks, but it's the coverage that's going to make life harder for them, not more pass rush. Yeah. I mean, this is a passing league 2020 set records for, for offense in so many ways, but it was really 
uh, evident in in passing game. It, they it, like the most attempts, yards, I think touchdowns, passing touchdowns ever for a season. Um, so I think that's that's what you have to invest in. Most of this league uh, has three wide receivers on the field most of the time. So you can either try to get to the quarterback or you can invest in making sure that when the quarterback is throwing, he's confused. And I'm not saying that signing Jadavian Clowney wouldn't matter or, you know, the Browns shouldn't look to get as much pass rush as they can. Obviously they should, but uh, that back seven has, it has a big job to do. And the longer a quarterback holds onto the ball, the more likely he is to do something wrong with it. Uh, and you make a quarterback hold onto the ball by improving your coverage. And you also give your pass rush longer to get to the quarterback. So there are people who have been in the league and, you know, obviously I haven't <laughs> from an executive standpoint, from a personal standpoint, who will argue against this all day. Um, but a lot of the data shows that, that coverage has more of a weight when it comes to success defensively and as a team. And I think uh, Andrew Barry, at least from the moves that he's made so far, I would, I would think that he feels that way too. Ellis, when you think about, cause listen, Ben's a veteran. He's been through it. He's a, he's a dude. He knows how to read a defense. Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, James Washington. That is a pretty darn good top four receivers. How, how given what this Browns defense is right now with the moves they've made this offseason, how do you like this Browns from a personnel standpoint trying to stop this Pittsburgh passing game? When I survey Browns defense versus Steelers offense, the only mismatch I really find is Chase Claypool versus the Browns outside cornerbacks. That's not a knock on Denzel Ward. We, uh, we did a dive on Denzel and really the only weakness I see in his game is him competing against bigger receivers that go up in, in high point and, and climb defensive backs. Terrence Mitchell is no longer in Cleveland. That means there's a gaping hole on the outside opposite of Denzel Ward. This might have nothing to do with Denzel Ward. You place Chase Claypool over there against whether it's Greedy Williams or someone else. And if he wins that matchup two out of three times for touchdowns, it may not matter what happens in the rest of the game. So despite having such an advantage on the inside now, which is where, I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster had, you know, was it like almost 150 receiving yards in that wild card game to, to Big Ben's 500 passing yards? So much of that work happened in the middle of the field, and Scott laid out the plays that they missed. The Browns have shored that up. So whether it's Pittsburgh or Baltimore, two teams that really thrived going across the middle, <clears throat> that will no longer be a cakewalk. It's the outside mismatch with Chase Claypool that I don't have figured out yet, but that's just one area. Everywhere else, it's advantage Browns. All right, Scott, we'll give you the last word on this. Just to summarize, how would you describe what has changed this offseason? Which way did the matchup go, Browns defense versus Steelers offense? Well, I guess you have to figure out where was this matchup before the season, and that's where it comes in. Like, we never really saw strength on strength in a way here. I mean, I, it was at least even last season, at times, at least the last couple games, the wildcard game is just such a screwy affair, but I think it's definitely leading towards the Browns because like, we talked about the Ravens game and how, or the Ravens matchup and how the Browns defense is in a better spot now against them. It's the same thing against the Steelers and that the things they did were versatile and it helps you against more than just one kind of offense and what they're able to possibly do at safety, the upgrades they made at corner, and where they made that upgrade a corner is important because, you know, it's middle of the field. It's, it's in the run game. It's covering those, those crossing patterns across the field. It's recognizing things in front of you and, and stepping forward to, to, you know, to take them away. It's, there's just so much versatility now with the additions that they've made that, that is definitely lean back towards the Browns. No matter what this offense looks like, uh, in 2021 for the Steelers and, and their new offensive coordinator. All right, that'll do it for a breakdown of the Pittsburgh Steelers and what they've done this offseason. We'll be back next week with a plan to do this again with another Browns opponent. And hopefully a week from now, we will have more information about how you can invest in the BFL 
the Bracket Football League. We'll get our lawyers. We'll get our financial advisors involved. Wait, 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 be, wait, wait. The extreme, make it, take it. That's what I think it should be. Well, you what could be more it. extreme than make it, take it, and that includes taking your players. Now you're just doing league slogans. Wait, I got to yeah, get that for the T-shirt. Make it. Okay. All right. We'll work it out. We might have to start a separate podcast only to talk about the new football league that we are creating. And frankly, let's be honest. If we make millions off this football league, this podcast is dead. Yep. Or somebody else can do it. These guys aren't going to be breaking down numbers and film if they're millionaires. Hey, uh, sorry. I know you guys are at your uh, beach house in Cabo. Can you look up some PFF numbers for the podcast this week? Scott's going to throw his computer in the ocean. All Mm -hmm. right. Thanks, you guys, for being part of it. We appreciate you guys listening to Gotta Watch the Tape. Make sure you listen to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast five days a week and read cleveland.com slash browns. For Ellis and Scott, I'm Doug. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.